0: be in 1 Peter chapter 1. Pastor Josh started this, uh, uh, the series last week, so we're picking up in verses 13 today. Why don't we throw that on the screen? 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13 says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Continuing on. It says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning. God, we pray that, um, that your scripture does all of the heavy lifting. That your scripture comes alive, it becomes active, it comes relevant to our hearts, minds, lives. God, I pray that uh, that there is hope that can be found this morning. I pray that uh, you help us to learn um, and believe what you're teaching us this morning. Um, and I just pray that there is, there is life to be found in your word. And we just pray and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you guys may be seated. I, I totally forgot to tell 8 a.m. to be seated, and it was quite funny. They were like... <clears throat> <clears throat> seated? Okay. Oh, yeah, you could be seated. <laughs> well, hey, like I said, we're in 1 Peter. Pastor Josh kicked off the message last week. He set up 1 Peter extremely well. Um, you know, he just talked about all the backstory of Peter. He gave you guys a little bit about Peter, and everything that he said last week is true. Peter had some very high highs, and he also had some very low lows. But I want to tell you guys, when he told me that I was going to be sharing uh, another week, week two... Of First Peter, I was extremely excited. I'll tell you why. Because I have been geeking out on Peter a bunch lately. Like, just been learning all kinds of stuff about him. Like, uh, learning his personality, what he was like, and all that kind of stuff. It really started when I was watching The Chosen. Like, there was just something about The Chosen. Me and my wife were like, I don't know, there's something about Peter. Like, I want to learn more about Peter. Um, and so I have been. And so I thought I'd share a little bit more to start off our time together uh, share a little bit more about Peter, kind of build off of what Pastor Josh shared last week. Uh, and so if many of you guys don't know that the gospel of Mark, uh, Mark, well, I guess before I talk about Peter, I've got to talk about Mark. Mark uh, was actually a disciple of Peter. Peter was like, he was his uh, protege, like he mentored him, he helped him. And, and so uh, Mark wrote really Peter's gospel. So the Gospel of Mark is really uh, Peter's recounts, Peter's eyewitness, written through his protege Mark. Um, And so you see that, like, you can learn a bunch about Peter through the Gospel of Mark. And Mark really only inserts himself really one time in, uh, in that story. And the story is, many of you guys know that, like, you know, we pick up at the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, and Peter, I mean, and the Roman soldiers just come to arrest Jesus. You know, Peter cuts off the soldier's ear. Many of us know this story. And then Jesus takes his ear and puts it back on, and he tells Peter no. And then they arrest Jesus, and everyone's freaking out. Everyone's like, man, what do we do? Where do we go? Jesus is arrested now. We didn't think he was going to get arrested. What are, what's going to happen? And the Gospel of Mark inserts this one portion of scripture, many scholars, though Mark does not name himself, many m- scholars are pretty unanimous in the fact that this is Mark. Uh, he just didn't name himself for obvious reasons, but no other gospel has this. And it says this in Mark chapter 14, verse 41. It says, And a young man, this is Mark, followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. So to paint the picture for you guys, I don't know what Mark was doing. I don't know if he was taking a shower, a bath, why he just had like a towel around him. He just had a linen cloth, and he sees Jesus get arrested, and just like all the rest of the disciples, he freaks out, drops his towel, and runs away naked, and now forever Mark is considered streaking Mark in my book because he ran away naked, (laughs) Why does Mark insert this, himself into this story in this way? I actually have no idea. <laughs> why does he say this? I don't know. Um, why did I bring this up to you guys? Mainly just because it's hilarious. Um, Mark was just this young guy who followed Peter, wrote his gospel for him. So you can learn a lot about Mark. You can learn a lot about Peter through the gospel of Mark. And here's what you can learn it was just kind of read the broad strokes of the Gospel of Mark. It is considered the action movie of the Gospels. And so many people are like, when they give their life to Jesus, they're like, where do I start reading the Bible? And a lot of people say John. The issue with John is John had kind of his head up in the clouds while he was writing his Gospel, talking about Jesus as a tree and we're like branches and Jesus is the vine and it's like he's the Word. And so it's like really kind of a symbolic Um Uh, teachings, which is great, John has its place, but if you want to really get into the word of God, read the gospel of Mark because it is filled with action. I mean, just action after action after action. And here's what we learn. Peter was a man of action. You'll see in in the gospel of Mark that it'll be like, it'll say something like, there's this woman who didn't walk her whole life and that Jesus healed them healed her and she walked for the first time and it was great and awesome and everyone was freaking out and then Jesus taught something. Like it will just say like Jesus taught something. He doesn't say what Jesus taught. It just says that Jesus taught. It's like you would have thought that maybe when Jesus starts teaching that that would be important. Right, but he does. He just puts that Jesus taught. It says, "If I'm like I'm like a uh, picture, Mark writing the gospel with Peter. Peter's explaining all this stuff, and then he's like, and then Jesus taught. Well, what did he teach? I don't know. Ask Mark. Mark, I mean Matthew. Mark, Matthew wrote it. wrote it all down because Matthew wrote everything. It's super detailed, the Gospel of Matthew. But Mark, now Jesus just taught something, but then that Jesus casted down out a thousand demons from this man it was crazy pigs were died it was awesome like that's the type of person that Peter was he was a man of action he did things like, like even if the action wasn't fully thought through right like he was he was the guy who didn't maybe put as much thought as he probably should have into his actions again cutting off roman soldier's ear probably not the wisest move um but he I'll tell you, he may not have thought it through. He may have been rash. He may have been irrational in his actions. But he was still a man of action. And I think that that's a lot more important than people think. And as we kind of get into 1 Peter this morning, this portion of Scripture, it's only just a few verses, we learn that Peter was a man of action. And what we're going to learn is his call to us for action, which is my title of my message this morning, is a call to action. Call to action. So he's going to give us a call to action, and here's the truth, is we're going to learn from the best, because Peter was a man of action. So of course, he starts off, his portion of scripture this morning, in verse 13, saying this. Uh, oh, well, let me, I, I'm glad that they brought this up, I almost forgot this. So you like he was this uneducated fisherman, and uh, and so he wrote through the through Mark the Gospel of Mark, and then you read First Peter, and Peter, uh, and, and you read First Peter, and you're like, wow, this is a really well written letter. Like Peter must have really grown. But in Chapter Five of his clo- closing, it says, "By Sylvanus or Silas is the uh, English word for this name. By Silas, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you." So he, it was through Silas, his secretary, that he actually wrote this letter. So Mark wrote the gospel of Mark for him, his gospel, and then Silas wrote this letter for him. He wasn't the biggest uh, writing guy. He wasn't the be- best reader. How many of you guys love our fearless pastor, Pastor Josh? He's one of the most passionate, God-fearing, God-loving <laughs> pastors around Absolutely love him. He's one of the best. He is the best. But let me tell you, I don't think he would have gotten along with Peter. Mr. Note-taker, book reader, I don't think would have gotten along with Peter, who was likely the guy falling asleep in the back, the guy who didn't write, the guy who didn't read, but he was a man of action. So, of course, it starts off in verse 13. It says this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, says, uh, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, preparing your minds for action. He's starting off with the head, and he's calling us to haste, to hasten. Starting off with the head, and he's preparing us to hasten. And so he starts talking about this mind and how we need to prepare ourselves for action, basically telling us, Get out of your head and start doing something. Of course Peter would say that. Get out of your head and start doing something. I know I cannot be the only one in here who gets in a loop in my head continuously, right? Like I start getting something or thinking something through and I start thinking through it and thinking through it and thinking through it, thinking it thinking thinking through it and thinking through it. And then I just get in this loop and I can't get out of this loop. Peter's like, get out of the loop, prepare your minds to actually do it, to actually do something. You know, I am, at the end of the day, a dreamer. Um, it's, I, I mean, I, I'd like to think it's my, one of my best traits and qualities. Some people disagree, but I love to dream. I love to, like, think about the future. I love thinking about what's ideal. Um, one of my favorite things to do is just sit at a coffee shop, Drinking a cool coffee shop, drinking a well prepared Ethiopian Yergoshef pour over coffee, just drinking it and having a conversation with my wife about the future. I love that. And let me tell you something it drives my wife crazy, like absolutely crazy. Because I'm like, I'm, I'm here with my head in the clouds, and I'm like, man, look at all these, man, what about this, and what about this, we could go here, we could do this, and maybe this could be this way, and and Ashley's sitting across the table from me like, Dustin, you know, good and well, you are not doing any of that, we're wasting our time, <laughs> And I'm just like, no, like we could you never know. And she's like, look, how about let's do this. Let's table this conversation until there's maybe the slightest chance that that's a reality, and then we could talk about it. <laughs> how many of you guys are dreamers in here? Are you dreamers like me? Like three of you. Okay. <laughs> well, you're in good company. How many of you guys like Ashley? Like, let me talk a, like when it's a, yeah, okay, yeah, that's what I thought. All right, I see. I get it. I get it. <laughs> But, man, I may, maybe you're like me and you're like, uh, you need to get into the gym or you need to start working out, right? Like, you've got you've to get back into shape. Um, and how many of you guys know that, like, as soon as, like, you start thinking about that, okay, I'm going to get up early and I'm going to go run. You start thinking through, like, oh, but, but what about this and this? Well, but that, but this and then that. And then you don't end up doing it, right? You don't end up doing it, and so the reality is, is you could have just gotten up early and gone for a run, and everything would have been fine. But you got so caught up into your mind loop that you end up, uh, you end up not doing it at all. When everything would have been fine, and that's what Paul, Peter is saying here. He's saying, just do it. I know I've taught you a lot. I know that you've learned a lot. It is time to start. Doing it It's almost as if there's a popular sports brand that has based their entire slogan off of the phrase, just do it for a reason. You know, I love the way that uh, Francis Chan puts it. I'll put it kind of in my own words. Uh, he's, he basically says, like, as if I would tell my son, Emerson, I'd say, Emerson, go clean your room. And so he'd go in his room for a couple hours and then come back out. i be like, hey, Emerson, did you clean your room? And he says, no. But I did remember what you said. I memorized it. You said, clean your room. And I'm like, great, that's awesome. Go clean your room. <laughs> and so he goes into his room a couple more hours. And then he comes back out. And I'm like, hey, Emerson, did you clean your room? No. But I got a group of friends together. We all sat in a circle and we discussed what it means to clean your room. <laughs> all the different ways we could clean our room and, and the different structures to which we could clean our room. Like, that's great, but go clean your room, Emerson. So he goes in his room a couple more hours and he comes back out. Emerson, did you clean your room? No, but I did learn it in the Greek and Hebrew, <laughs> learned how to say it in the Greek and Hebrew. Like, that's great, Emerson, just go clean your room. (laughs) Like, at some point, we've got to stop coming to church and just intaking all this information after information after information. We've got to go out and start applying it to our lives. And Peter's saying we've got to prepare our minds to actually start doing things. It's as if James is taught, like what James talks about in the book of James, it says... Like when we are hearers of the word and not doers of the word, that we forget what we look like. We're like someone who looks in the mirror and forgets what we look like. We've got to be doers of the word. And then he continues with the mind, and he says, be sober-minded. So he says, prepare your minds for action, and then be sober-minded. Which means be clear in your thinking. Be clear in your thinking. Man, there's so many things in this life that are causing us to have hazy thinking, right? All you've got to do is turn on the news. You watch the news. By the end of it, you don't know what to think. What do I, what do I think now that I've watched this? You click Facebook, you scroll for a little while. By the end of it, you don't What do I think. Start following culture and listening to what culture tells you to do. You, what happens? Your mind starts getting hazy, and you're like, what do, our th- what do I, what am I supposed to think? It's like life and culture is just designed to get us confused. Are you guys with me? Just get so confused. What am I, what am I supposed to think? What am, I, what am I supposed to process? Like, there's all these different things happening, and, and Peter's saying here, Stop. Be sober-minded. You've got to be clear in your thinking. It's not about just thinking through all these things. You've got to be clear here. He continues with the mind in verse 14. He says, and as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Man, there's so many of us in here that we we come to church and we have this amazing god experience and it's amazing and it's awesome and maybe even god spoke to you he spoke specifically something for you something to you and it was great and awesome maybe you went to a conference like a like freedom conference or something and you just man god did some amazing work maybe you even went to youth camp maybe you volunteered at youth camp and god did something in you maybe you're a youth in here and you god, god did something amazing but golly, are we so susceptible to just going home and convincing ourselves that that wasn't God? Like God told you to do something, God shared this with you, God did all these things, and it was amazing and awesome. And then you go home and you start. This is what this is the narrative in your mind. No, that couldn't have been God. Mm-mm. God wouldn't have called me to find another job. No way. God wouldn't have called me to do this. God wouldn't have showed me to say that or to do this, and. And then you start psyching yourself out. This is what he's referring to here in verse 14. He's, he's, it's, it's about you're conforming back to the passions of your former ignorance. It's like you, you had this revelation and it was awesome, and then you forgot it. You're going back to ignorance. And he's saying we've got to not just be clear in our thinking, but we've got to be clear in our thinking in, in regards to God. Like we've got to get this right. We've got to get this figured out. We've got, to be, we've got to prepare our minds for action, and we've got to be sober-minded. You know, it starts off, this portion of Scripture, with the word, therefore. This word, therefore, is extremely important when you see it in Scripture, because when you see this word, therefore, you have to look before it to see what it's there for. And so, why does he start off? He says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Therefore, be sober minded. It's because he's wanting, he's calling back to what we talked about last week, what, what uh, Pastor Josh talked about last week, what we learned about last week. He's saying, because of all these things, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Therefore, be sober minded. For those of you guys who weren't here, I wanted to read it for you guys real quick. In first Peter chapter one, verse three, it says this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Continuing on, it says, to an inheritance, an inheritance that is Imperishable, an inheritance that's undefiled, an inheritance that's unfading, that's kept for you in heaven, who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the Tested genuineness, you remember that if you were here last week, of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Continuing on, it says, may be found in result, to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So what is he saying here? He's saying that we've got to take on the mindset of all of these things, that you are blessed, that you have faith more precious than gold, that though you go through trials, you are refined, that you love him because he loves you, that it is it is treasure stored up in heaven and it's imperishable, that God is guarding it. Those are the things that we're supposed to think, dwell, and focus on. Watch what it says in Colossians. It says, Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on things that are above. not on things on earth. That we've got to look past what's right in front of us and start looking to what is beyond us. It's like Ecclesiastes. He talks about how everything in life is vain. But man, there's, there's hope to be found beyond the sun. That it's beyond the sun that we've got to think about and dwell on it changes everything. When you've got it here, and you've got to say it here, you've got to believe it here in your head. And then he knows that as you as you get it here and start believing it here, thinking about it here, dwelling on it here, then it goes to your heart. So the head, it was a call to hasten, and then it goes to our heart. That's a call to hope, a call to hope. He says, therefore, so he goes, therefore, prepare. Because of all these things, therefore, prepare. Because of all these things, therefore, be sober-minded. And then finally, because of all these things, set your hope fully, in verse 13, on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love this. Hope. Fully, hopefully. You guys know that hope is an emotion, right? Like it's something that you feel, you feel hope. And so when I started looking into this word fully, some of your translations might even say complete, full, or complete. But in the original language, the word is teleos, which means without wavering or to the end. So he's calling us to set our hope in God that is full, a hope that is complete, a hope that is unwavering, and a hope that is to the end. We need a hope that death can't touch. We need a hope that situations in life can't break down. We need a sustainable hope. We need a hope in God. Gosh, man, there's so many different things in life, all these different people that are setting their hope in things that are not sustainable in people and places and things that aren't going to fulfill you, aren't going to fill your, your heart with hope, that aren't going to allow you to feel hope in a way that is completely beyond this world. But you're looking to hope. You're setting your hope on your job. Man, if there's anything that the last three years have taught us, is that we can't set our hope in our jobs. Some of you are even setting your hope on your family, which seems like the right thing to do. Some of you in here know that you're one phone call away from your spouse not being there, from your children not being there. And then what happens to your hope then What happens when your hope is ripped from you, taken from you? What happens then? What happens when you set your hope on your house and a hurricane comes through and wipes it away? What happens? What do you do with this hope? What do you do? How do you live life with a heart that's empty? But God is telling, Peter is telling us here that we've got a hope beyond what's right in front of us. We've got to look beyond the sun on a hope that is in Jesus because at the end of the day, we have to look what's beyond what's right in front of us because we can look to a heaven that is there to sustain us, that is there to be with us, that we've actually, as we just read, have treasures stored there for us. And so, yes, life might suck. Yes, life might be difficult. And you might be going through a hard time. We're not a church that shies away from those things or pretends that you don't go through hard situations. We're not that church. You may be going through one of the toughest situations in your life, but you could still have a hope that's beyond that situation. A hope that is going to sustain you. A hope that can't be taken away from you. No situation can take away from you a hope in God. No problem can take away a hope in God. It doesn't matter what the devil can throw at you. It cannot take away a hope in God. That's the story of Job, right? And that's why he says in Job 13, he says, those who forget God have no hope. He said, I got everything ripped from me. Come on. Come on family ripped from me, I've got all my belongings ripped from me, but I have a hope that's going to sustain me. The closer to God you ha- are, the more hope you have. The further away from God you are, the less hope you have. More God, more hope, less God, less hope. I love how the psalmist puts it here in Psalm 42 verse 5. It says this, it says, why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him my salvation. You know what he's doing here? Again, he's not shying away from the fact that he's been cast down, his soul. He's in turmoil within me. He's saying, like, my life sucks. It is terrible. It's awful. I've got some terrible things that's happening And then he goes, no, 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 no. That is not the narrative that I'm going to believe here. I'm going to believe that there is praise to be found in God, even in my turmoil, even when my soul is cast down. See, what Peter's saying here is we've got to preach to ourselves. It starts here, and then it goes, goes here. The more that you you preach to yourself the things of God, that you're blessed, that you're loved, that you're cared for, that God loves you, that he calls you worthy even when you don't believe it or feel it. What it does is it convinces something in you here, and then it fills your heart up fully, and you have a heart that's full to the top with hope. I mean, think about it, right? Like, back to the Jim illustration I heard a pastor put it this way the other day. He was like, wake up every morning and tell yourself, I like going to the gym. I like going to the gym. I like going to the gym. Guess what's going to end up happening? You're going to end up convincing yourself and believing, I like to go to the gym. So you've got to preach this to yourself. That's the whole underlining purpose of First Peter. That's why we call this series Different. Because we are called to be different. Man, you guys want to be different in life? (laughs) You want to be different? Have a hope in you that is beyond anything that this life can touch. Watch yourself be different. Because when you preach to yourself, when you believe, when you convince yourself, you remind yourself of the promises, the identity that God has for you, and it goes to your heart and it fills your heart up, what it does is it changes everything. You walk different. You talk different. You act differently because of who you know that you are in Christ. When you believe it in your head, and it fills your heart. It comes out in your habits. So he talks about our, our, our head, which is a call, um, a, a call to hasten. And then he, go, he knows it goes to your heart, which is a call to hope. And then finally he goes into our habits, which is a call to holiness. Watch what it says. In first Peter chapter one, verse fifteen and sixteen, last two verses of today, and it says, But as he who's called you is holy, you will also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Let me tell you something about holiness, God's holiness. Is there is nothing that can compare to it. Like think about it. Like how what what in this world can compare to God's holiness? He it is in a class of its own. His holiness can't touch anything in this life. I mean, there's stories in scripture where his holiness comes down and people's body can't even take it. So why is Peter saying here? In verses 15 to 16, he's saying, hey, you're called to be holy. Good luck. Good luck with this impossible task. This thing that you can't even touch, that you can't even fully fathom, I want you to be it. That's a little difficult to grasp. And, and, and hear me, he is talking about conduct here. He's talking about your behavior. He uses this word conduct, which I was like looking it up in all the different languages. Maybe it means something else. No, it means your behavior. <laughs> it does. It does. And so, yes, we're called to be holy in our actions, in our behavior, but I also want to remind you of what Jesus says when he comes on the scene. He says, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. See, this scripture is not meant to put a heavy burden on you, a heavy yoke on you that you, oh, I feel this burden to be holy. I've got to be holy all the time. If I'm not holy, I'm not Christian. That's not, that's not what he's saying here. See, if you if you read past it quick, you'll miss it, but he says it in, in 15. It says, but he who has called you, he who has called you. See, Peter's sharing the gospel here, saying there is a God who is holy that is in a class of his own, that there is holiness that we can't even touch or fathom. And that holiness, that God came on the scene and made a way and called you by name. He called you out. He called you out of the crowd, son. He called you out of the crowd, daughter. He said, come to me, all you are who are weary. Come to me. I'm going to make a way even though I don't deserve it. And we all do. I'm going to make a way for you to be with me. He's going to call you out. He knows you, He knows who you are, and He still loves you. So, you want to know how to be holy? How do you be holy in a world that is filled with so much unholiness? He says it here be holy for God is holy. He's reminding us. You know what you do? You get as close to God as you can. Get as close to God as humanly possible. Because how many of you guys know, like, the more you spend time with someone, (laughs) the more you act like them, the more you talk like them, the more you become like them. So Peter's saying here, get close to God and watch his holiness rub off on you. Because when you get into the presence of God, how many of you guys know that the lies of the enemy do not stand a chance? It's at home. It's when you're alone, when, when the lies of the enemy start to flourish and grow. But in the presence of God, in his holiness, it seems to cast out all lies of the enemy. It seems to cast out all misconceptions of who God is. And so you get close to God. You get as close to him As you can, and watch as as those lies begin to get cast out, and it gets you begin to refine your thoughts and define them by who God says you are, and as they are defined, and as you are. reminding yourself, preaching to yourself all of the things of God, all the things that we read about in verses 3 through 8, that you're blessed, that there's treasures. What it does is it fills up your heart and it comes out in your actions. That's what it is, man. So many of us, we've, we've bought into this burden of Christianity got to be good enough. I've got to act good enough. I've got to do this and I've got to do this. And Jesus is just saying, I just want you. Period. All of that stuff can come after. All of that stuff can come from a right mo- motivation of just being with me. I've struggled with this so much. That's why God is continuously reminding me that he's a good father. He's a good father. He's a good father. A good father. Some I literally have to I literally have to be like that psalmist and say, no, no, no. The second bad thoughts enter in my mind, like, oh, I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. I won't be like this person or I won't be like that person. I'm not good enough. God doesn't doesn't love me because of the things I've done. I have to go, no, no, no. That is not true. That is not of God. That is the enemy trying to cast me out. I'm going to believe that God is for me. I'm going to believe that God loves me. I'm going to look beyond what is right in front of me. And I'm going to believe in a God that is beyond all circumstances. And my heart gets filled in the process. You know, we've been talking about Peter a lot, but... I don't know if you guys know this, but Peter and John, they were frenemies. Pastor Josh talked about that a while back. Like, did Peter and John like each other? We don't know. (laughs) We think so. They were definitely frenemies. The thing about John is John always, man, God revealed this to me a while back, and it was a game changer. Think about John. Many people talk about John, how he refers to himself as the most beloved disciple I'm the disciple that Jesus loves the most. I'm the most beloved. I'm Jesus's favorite. And you see that reoccurring time and time again in his gospel. And even with me, me and Ashley were watching The Chosen, and there's this scene I'll never forget. <laughs> and John and James, they're plowing a field. They're just plowing away. And it, if I remember right, it even cuts to the scenes of the other disciples, and they're like healing people and ministering to people in the city and stuff like that. But Peter, I mean, uh, James and John, they're plowing. And it's funny how the Chosen even, uh, they personify this in the, in the show, because John, as he's plowing, he says, man, what an awesome task this is. Like, Jesus must really love us to tell us to plow this field. Like, we, his, I must be his favorite. And I'm just like, John, like, you're plowing a field, bro. <laughs> what are you talking about? But it was God reminded, or God revealed this to me a while back? See, many people, <laughs> many people, they view God, John as this like kind of guy with all this audacity, just believing he's Jesus's favorite. What if it was actually the opposite? <laughs> what if he actually struggled with the most that Jesus loved him? What if he struggled with the most that he was Jesus' favorite? What if he, there was time and time again that he found himself? There's no way that Jesus wants me. There's no way he wants me to follow him. There's no way he loves me. Plowing a field, I must not be not as good. But John, is, but John is preaching to himself, saying, No, 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 I am the one that Jesus loves. No, 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 no. I'm not going to buy into those lies. I'm going to cast them out. And I'm going to actually take on this truth that I'm the most loved one of all of them. And I'm going to say it. And I'm going to preach it. And I'm going to shout it from the mountaintops. Anyone who hears it, that God loves me even when I don't feel it. Even when I don't feel worthy of it. I'm going to say it until I believe it here. There's, there's a reason why Jesus says all you have to do is belief. But many of us, that's the hardest part. The hardest part of Christianity, I said this a couple weeks ago when I was hosting, the hardest part of Christianity is not reading your Bible. The hardest part of Christianity is not uh, telling your coworkers about Jesus or coming to church. That's not the hardest part about Christianity. The hardest part about Christianity is just simply believing the gospel that I'm loved, that there is absolutely nothing I can do that can change God's love for me. That he loves me that much, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're going to do, no matter what you've done today, no matter what you do yesterday, did yesterday or do tomorrow, it, God loves you the same amount. You are the most loved disciple. And I am the most loved disciple. Some of you are in here, And you've gone your whole life believing these lies. I'm not good enough. God doesn't love me. Or I've got to do all these things, A, B, and C. I've got to go to church. I've got to read my Bible. I've got to put on this persona like I'm this good Christian person and that everything's okay and, like, everything's great. I'm having a blessed day. Thank you, brother. You know, like, that's just not, that's just not reality. Some of you have gone your whole life believing that. And Peter, in this scripture this morning, is reminding us that it starts here. No, you got to preach to yourself, no, Jesus loves me, cares for me, has adopted me, as Ephesians 2 says. I'm in his family. And as you get close to him, as it as you convince yourself here, it goes here and it comes out here. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you're in here and you've never even known that God loves you, maybe you've never even realized that that was a reality for you, that you thought you came here because maybe someone invited you, and you thought that you would come, but you didn't realize that it was going to shake your whole life. And maybe for the first time you felt the love of God this morning, and you're saying, I want to give my life to this. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to follow. I want to make a decision to follow Jesus today. There's no one looking around. Can you just lift your hand so I know who I'm praying for this morning? Okay, I see you. I see you. Okay. And then there's maybe a second group of people in here. Maybe you're in here and you've battled with your thoughts for too long. And you're making a decision today. And again, this is just so I know who to pray for. You're making a decision today that you're going to tell the lies of the enemy. no, And you're going to start believing the truth of who Jesus is and what the Bible says and who the Bible says you are. Maybe you've given your life to Jesus, but, but you're making a commitment today to change your mind, that changes your heart, to change your actions. If that's you, can you just lift your hand right now, right where you're at? Come on, all over this room. All over this room. I just want to know who I'm praying for. So God, we come before you this morning. Humble. We don't deserve what you've given us. We don't deserve to be loved. We don't deserve a Savior. But you have given us a way. And we thank you for that. God, thank you for every single person in here that has made that commitment to follow you, maybe for the first time. And God, I pray right now for a shield, a protection over our, the minds of these people. I pray a protection over my mind as I struggle with this myself. I pray that you just continue to shield me from the lies of the enemy. And remind me of the truth, of who, you, who you call me to be, and the things that you call me to believe in. In Jesus' name.